0: Who's the one in me that even wants to argue about it? Like, That's the deeper question. Yeah. Yeah. Rather
1: than just open to it. Right. Yeah, That's the deeper question. That's the most fundamental question. When somebody gets hooked on that kind of question, then I start to salivate like a dog.
2: Welcome to The Sounds of Sand, presented by Science and Non-Duality, offering dialogue on the bridge between science and spirituality. In today's episode, we present a conversation between two masters in their field, Dr. Gabor Mate and Adi Ashanti in conversation in an episode entitled Emotional and Spiritual Maturity. If you're ready to explore together, listen in now. Welcome to Science and
1: Non-Duality. What is non-duality?
2: Universal forces.
1: It's the collective conscious.
0: Being aware. Trauma is not the external event that happens. Trauma is the impact of that event, which is the disconnection from ourselves. That matter is energy, energy is matter. That's what EMC squared is about.
1: There's a language without nouns. There is a language without subjugation. There's a language without objectifying. But if it's
0: recorded, then we there is a collapse. But if it's not, then it's the infinite potentiality. Yeah.
2: Welcome to the first episode of the Sounds of Sand, our brand new podcast. We're super excited to explore this new medium for our sand content and to share this wisdom with new audiences. And to help be part of the conversation, please visit our website and send us a message about how you're liking the podcast or if you have ideas or suggestions for guests or just to say hi. You can email us at podcast at scienceandnonduality.com. And today we present a profound and authentic dialogue between two of our most popular teachers and speakers, Dr. Gabor Mate, star of the sand-produced film The Wisdom of Trauma, and spiritual teacher Adi Ashanti. And in this rare meeting of the minds, Dr. Mate takes on the role of the interviewer asking adya many thoughtful questions about topics such as intergenerational trauma what exactly does enlightenment look like spiritual materialism the importance of silence and emptiness and they explore the idea that many spiritual teachers seem to have a reluctance to talk about trauma they touch upon spiritual bypassing and spiritual development and you can read their full bios and find links to their sites in the show notes. And now I present to you emotional and spiritual maturity with Dr. Gabor Mate and Adya Shanti.
0: So the first thing I will ask you, um, and this is my personal beef perhaps or my personal grievance or, or fear, uh, Adyashanti, tonight over dinner, described an, uh, an episode of traveling from Germany through into uh, Switzerland. Would you just describe what happened for you there? Uh, and then I'll sure. ask you a question about it.
1: Many years ago, I was teaching in Germany and Switzerland, and, and uh, we were in a car, me and several people. I was in the back seat and talking with a few people and not paying much attention to where we were. And, All of a sudden, I noticed this really stark sort of change of energy. It felt as if, you know, the kind of feeling like when you're in a dark, cloudy day and the sun breaks through and all of a sudden it feels lighter. And so I felt this very noticeable lightness and a kind of energetic sense of opening. And I said, I asked the people in the car, I said, did you guys feel that? Because it was. It was very strong to me, and they all said, yeah, we felt it. And then one of them pointed out, he said, you know, we just passed, we just passed the border between Germany and Switzerland, and I looked, in the, looked behind us, and sure enough, we could still see the sign um, in the rearview mirror, and um, it was a really stark, energetic, and it was really, you know, I would experienced the different energies in different places and different environments, but this was probably one of the more powerful shifts of from something that felt he- a little heavier, a little bit more, I don't know, maybe oppressive energy. That's maybe an overstatement to some extent and then something much lighter.
0: OK, so I heard this story. And I have a, there's in me an a inimitable capacity to draw the negative out of anything. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so when I heard this story, what happens for me? I'm getting, well, this guy travels within Germany, and of course we all know the history of Germany and how different that is from the history of Switzerland. And so we all all may understand what this energetic shift is all about. But I wouldn't have that kind of, I've I've been to Switzerland, I've been to Germany, I didn't feel any of that stuff. And then I read Adyashanti's work or other people's work on enlightenment. And I'm thinking well, what kind of a per- When he tells me the story tonight, I'm thinking, what kind of a person would it take to be able to sense and experience that tremendous and obviously palpable energetic shift? Well it takes somebody very sensitive, it occurs to me. And then my pessimism goes to, well of course he would have enlightenment experiences because he's that sensitive. So it's almost like there's two kinds of people in the world those that are wired for such experiences mm-hmm. and those that are not. And he's in one group, I'm in another. So it doesn't matter how much I read your teachings or listen to your, 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 your tapes or that of Eckhart or that of Almas or anybody else, given that I'm wired differently and my mind isn't wired for that sensitivity and that connection, maybe I don't have a hope in heck of, of actually getting there. Mm-hmm. Do you understand? Sure. My dilemma here. What would you say to that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, (laughs) first of all, I mean, I I would I would agree to the extent that we're all hooked up differently, just like anything else in life. Spirituality is no different. There's people that are inherently like talented violin players, for instance, or or just anything, or architects, or whatever, and and other people that it's it's more difficult for them. And I think the same thing. Occurs in spirituality. I think that's that's fairly obvious. Um, however, I I don't think of myself as a particularly energetic person. Not not when I compare myself like to my wife Mukti. Mm-hmm. Um, she makes me like feel like a you know knuckle dragging Neanderthal <laughs> that <laughs> energetically wise you know that sensitivity. But you know I obviously have have developed it. I think much more than I did. So I don't really. Um, just from that, from the energetic point, I, I haven't experienced that I grew up and felt energetically sensitive or anything at all. That, that kind no, of came uh, through a lot of practice.
0: But I mean, you might be spiritually that sensitive, though. Is, there, is, yeah. is, is it possible that you're wired for that spiritual experience and other people yeah. are not so wired for it? It's possible. And if that's the case, then can it be taught? can it be transmitted, really? Or are people just going to be coming to you to
2: experience yeah. your energy,
0: which is question. wonderful, or are they actually, yeah. if they're not wired for it, are they going, do I have a hope of having that experience? That's what I'm asking. <laughs>
1: <laughs> This is what I'm asking. No, I get the question, and I, and I appreciate the sincerity and the directness of the question, because it's, it's, it's the kind of question that's easy to sort of you know, dodge and, you know, yeah. so that everybody, we all feel really good about all this stuff. But, I mean, like I said, I do think that some people are, are have a sort of more of a sort of inherent hookup or talent or whatever you might think of it around around spiritual experience. What being a teacher has taught me is that I've encountered a whole lot of people that really didn't think they had any... Real talent, they would tell me I have never had anything even remotely like a spiritual experience in my life. I'm intrigued with the idea of it, mm-hmm. um, but I don't feel that I'm, you know, kind of hooked up that way. And, um, and I've seen that so far, 23 years of this, um, that the biggest factor that I've found is when I can get people's mind to open to pot the possibility that without disagreeing with their basic makeup, like, mm-hmm. yeah, you have your makeup, okay, you have that, but if you didn't limit yourself with your idea of a, conclu- a conclusion, right, and, but neither one of us are making a conclusion, right, I'm not making a conclusion like that, yeah, mm-hmm. you anything at all is possible for you. Mm-hmm. Who knows, how do I know at the okay. end of the day, right, but I have seen that um, in many instances that this seems like one of the biggest factors is actually just a, a mind that hasn't closed into conclusions that it's I saw that when I very first started to teach that if I could open people's mind just their mind to a maybe you know about well, lots of things actually but um, especially in this regard because spirituality you know the idea of awakening and enlightenment it's of course it's clouded in this shroud of 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 um, specialness it's made for special people of special talents and you know and all, all of that and experience has taught me if i can help open people's mind beyond that that maybe it it appears that way because that's what collectively we've kind of held and believed then um, a lot more becomes possible. That, okay. That's about as straight as I can give it, and I've, seen, I've certainly seen a lot of people that really didn't think it was possible. I've tried to open their minds up to the possibility of it, um, and you know, I've seen a lot of people have, have some pretty big spiritual shifts that really didn't think it could happen. Whether that can happen like for every, everybody walking yeah. around, I don't know. Okay. You know, I wouldn't want to come to a conclusion on the positive end of it either. I kind of try to keep it very open-ended. You know?
0: Okay. Um, well, that actually leads me to um, one of the things I noted in your book, you uh, falling into grace. and um, You say here, early in the book, that grace is something that comes to us when we somehow find ourselves completely available, when we become open-hearted and open-minded. And are willing to entertain the possibility that we may not think what, we may not know what we think we know, mm-hmm. so the key word for me in this sentence is we find ourselves completely available mm-hmm. Now that finding occurred to me can happen two ways: Finding could be just an accidental serendipitous event or, yeah. or, or happenstance, where I find something on the ground that i didn 't was expecting, but you know or kind of a very active component, I'm actually looking for something. Yeah. So when you say find here, which which of those did you mean, or did you mean both of them?
1: Both of them, for sure. Um, One of the things that um, when I've talked about grace, um, I think a lot of us, myself, I would very much say my first experience where I really felt You know, I've been graced lots of times in in life in different ways. But the first time that it really, I really felt, wow, this is, it feels like pure gift, was something I share with people all the time when I teach. Almost never does an audience brighten up when I say what I'm going to tell you. But it's been my experience that my, to a large measure, my spiritual path has been a path of failure that the greatest openings have come when I've come to the end of my rope. Um, certainly in the early years that was that was the case. I, I sort of would exhaust exhaust myself um, until I was despondent, a combination of despondent and exhausted. And that seemed to be a pretty potent ground for. For Grace to happen now it doesn 't have to be that way, fortunately, I think that was just because early on there was probably more resistance and things in the way um, but I, I think that 's an important thing um, to consider because of course as, as a teacher, you just keep, you see this all the time, people coming up against their limitations yeah right or their perceived limitations or what they really experience to be a limitation, and they they go up against it and they, at a certain point, you try different strategies and different, different angles and you try everything you can and, and at some point, you might just, and we do everything we can not to be checkmated, right? Not to run out of strategy. We do everything in our power not to get there, but sometimes we do find ourselves there. And certainly in my case, I found that that was often as I said, early on, when there was probably more resistance, um, that that's when grace would often occur. Something would happen that would feel like pure gift. Um, it wasn't because I was talented enough to I just surrendered to God. You know, I just surrendered. Well, I tried that, but <laughs> apparently it wasn't in my capability to surrender in a complete enough way, so I had to go through what I had to go through. as my my own teacher says we all have our dance to dance out in life and the whole point is just to dance it all the way out and boy did I find that to be true
0: so when you talk about enlightenment um, do you mean those particular experiences uh, that I'd imagine as ones of realization and unity and I can only Use words for it because I'm yeah. not conscious of having had such ever had such an experience at all. Yeah. Do you mean that particular experience, or do you mean something that happens after that experience, or something that you learned from that experience? What is alignment for you?
1: Well, the it's good thing I like the way you frame that question because the question was actually my answer. Is that it's all to me? It's all of that. It's, yeah, yeah, the the power, well, experience is what we might call, where you can recount, say, something that happened on a given moment or day or whatever, um, are like door-opening moments, consciousness-opening moments. Um, We can call those, some some of them, of course, not every. In fact, the vast majority of spiritual experiences are not enlightenment or awakening experiences. Um, But even if that, even if we experience that, um, of course, anybody that's ever had those moments has has had the experience of having this the the, the 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 clouds of consciousness sort of part and something a whole new way of being come into into your experience. But we all, most of us, um, cer- certainly when those are sort of when we're early in that kind of experience. We also experience that as human beings, we don't quite live up to it. You know, it's like, it shows us our, our potential and what we, not just our potential, more, more fundamentally of our, sort of our essence, our, our wholeness, you might say, our completeness. But we're also, we also have these two aspects of being, a part that spirituality is really pointing to, which is sort of what I call the always and already complete Whole, and there's a, a sort of intimate connectedness with being, but also there's a human part. And the human part may or may not be deeply sort of penetrated by that experience. We all differ greatly in how deep that goes. And so, any, any spiritual experience will need to be that in and of itself doesn't just mean you're going to get the enlightenment certificate because you had enlightenment experience. The next day, you know, when your kid knocks on your door at an inopportune time or something, and you, then you find out, like, <laughs> how real is this? So to me, it involves all of that, it involves the door opening experiences. It, it includes it, the, the, the process, which is not an instantaneous process, the process of, of embodying that in our humanity, which is generally a very humbling um, path very humbling experience, um, and a deeper understanding, I think it's, to me, it includes all of that.
0: So if I can get personal here, um, sure. first of all about you and then about me, um, <laughs> so you've been on this path for decades and you've had these cloud-splitting experiences, mm-hmm. as far as I understand, um, do you get annoyed in the morning when it's raining, or your wife doesn't look at you the way you her to look at you, or, or <clears throat> you say, "Geez, I wish it wasn't like this this morning"? Or do you live in this peace of acceptance and peace? And
1: just what's it like for you? I yeah. just love to know. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I float in the clouds at all times. <laughs> um, That's was a no. Famous. My my biggest so uh, confession moment. My 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 biggest sort of. Um, weakness as far as uh, annoyance is almost always almost always <clears throat> around technology. Hmm. I can get frustrated with my computer or my phone or if something doesn 't work well for some reason that can that can push the old upset button pretty pretty easily um, you know in the greater scheme of things that 's not that big of a deal right if you yeah. think of if you think of life, like, geez, okay, that's not much to complain about. So I'm certainly not complaining, but that, you know, that's the thing of this, the, the, Gabriel, is the way I see this, um, it's what I teach. It's also comes from my experience and is that we, we can have these, these awakening experiences that, that, that not even all awakenings are the same. There's depth to awakening, just like there's depth to anything else. Um, and then we have, and that can, can be very, very sudden. It's not always sudden. That's a kind of myth that they all have to come in mind-blowing moments. You know, they can kind of creep up on you. I've seen people that have awakening experiences that are kind of like, well, I'll be darn. Hmm. Really, I'll be darned. Hmm. Um, but I think there's these two aspects that I kind of touched on briefly. There's, there's the revelatory aspect, And um, that's sort of we see or we don't see. Then there's the human aspect. And as far as I can see is because we're connecting with something that's experientially is infinite, that the human being has has its own infinite capacity to grow into and embody what we realize. And there doesn't seem to be an end to that
0: and it doesn't have to be instantaneous
1: no it's never I've never seen a case where it was instantaneous ever yeah ever and and that's just part of I mean that's part of the thing that it's everybody deals with is like acknowledging that and then starting to see the gaps between the and this isn't just an enlightenment thing by the way this is like everybody in this room you and me and all of us we all have what we might consider the deepest or most meaningful things that we feel like we know, those whether it's an insight or an understanding, gained from life experience that that's, you, you just innately know, this is just innately meaningful. And we also know that as human beings, we are always growing towards or away from that, right? And there doesn't seem to be an end where you get to go over some line called total enlightenment or total liberation. And you can claim, okay, as a human being, I've reached, I now embody the infinite in my limited humanity. <laughs> and so I think if we're honest, which is a, always a great protector, um, if we're honest is we just, we, settle, we, we start to settle into that and we're like, okay, there's, there's on the relative level, I'm always growing in to what I always and already am, and I think that's—I uh, think it's a more balanced view of all of this than sometimes gets talked about, you know. Because we all like extraordinary stories, yeah. but um, you know, I was telling you that my own teacher, who I was with for 14 years, she um, she had she raised five kids, and so she was very grounded, and and you know, if you had a big old awakening experience, she'd just kinda smile at you and go, Okay. Yeah, That's okay. Nice. And then 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 she you sometime, usually within sometime in the next minute, she'd ask you a question like, So how are you getting along with your mom? <laughs> just some some relational question. Cause she was like trying to like re- it was like reconnect. Like this is where it's gonna be real, kid.
0: Yeah, which is really interesting because when you were telling me that dinner and you first talked about your spiritual teacher and I asked you if you had a teacher and you said yes, right away I think of a male. Yeah, I never would have thought you were having, a, let alone a female with kids. Yeah, how can I be a spiritual teacher? <laughs> right, <laughs> so right. So it's that we have these ideas, right? Yep. So yeah. So speaking of ideas, somebody once yeah. actually, I've often said, maybe too often said, according to what I just learned from you is that I've never had a spiritual experience in the Mm -hmm. sense of one of those big aha moments, the cloud opening and all that. And yet when people talk about enlightenment, when I read Rumi's poetry or Hafiz's poetry or I read read, uh, Jesus or I read the Buddha or I read you or I read Eckhart Tolle or any one of these people, something in me knows what they're talking about and recognizes it and and gets the truth of it even. So this one person put a very interesting question to me that I'd like to put to you now, which is, is it possible that we do have these experiences, we just don't recognize them as such, because it, we have a kind of idea as to what they should be like, and since they don't yeah. correspond to the idea, we just don't
1: see them for what they are. It can be. It can be. I've met people like this, like yeah. that, and I'll question them, I'll start to you know, ask them, and. And like they might, you know, it, like I said, some people kind of just slide slide in there, kind of gradually. And so the idea that it has to always, that, you, that enlightenment is defined by simply by powerful moments is a, is a, is a misunderstanding, right? Um, so yeah, just, just, just because you have a, a shift doesn't always mean it's gonna be immediately conscious,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? The aha is only only when the, the shift is very, very quick and the change of perspective is basically immediate. Mm-hmm. But what if you had that change of perspective over five years?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Hmm. Right, You're not going to have an extended five-year aha moment. Yeah. Right. So, Like I said, at the end of the day, this stuff is proved not by... Look, I'm, it's, I, I, I deeply value awakening experience, obviously, <clears throat> but in the end it's not proved by those experiences it's proved in the way we move and function in life that's oh. that's the that's the that's the real deal right so if somebody says oh i had this wonderful awakening experience 5 years ago but you notice they're just really easy to trigger and their buttons are just all over them and you can push them really easy mm-hmm. then you kind of go okay you might have had an experience and not to devalue that but that's not a lived reality right now. Then you walk over to the next person that says, I've never had an enlightenment experience at all. I don't really, I've never had that. And maybe if you're with them for a while, you notice like they're actually really hard to trigger.
0: Hmm.
1: Like, okay, so now in the, in the moment, who's actually more enlightened in the moment?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know what I mean? That's what I mean by like, the, the experiences is, are, are are important, but, after those, what's important is right, how easily do we get triggered, how, you know, how much are we grabbing hold of identity, how much we grasp onto ideas that aren't really true, all those kind of things. In fact, Suzuki Roshi, who wrote Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, yeah, of course. he had a really interesting comment one day. He said, don't be so sure you want enlightenment. <laughs> He said, you may not like it if you get it, which is actually true. If The real, the real deal, you might not like it if you get it, and that's, that comes as a surprise to some people.
0: And you quote Jesus in your book uh, somewhat to the same extent from the Gospel of Thomas.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You, you, can, be, yeah, when you can be disturbed. Yeah. yeah it, can, it can be very, very disturbing to some people. Um, but Suzuki also said, he said, you know... Um, if you do this, this practice, which is his way of saying, like if you really commit yourself to a spiritual path, whether you have one of these powerful experiences or, or not, you may end up actually being in a day-to-day way you move through, you may be more, more closer to enlightenment than someone that has one of those experiences, right? Not to say that they're, they're the same thing, but um, I just always been inclined towards the proof of the profundity of our experience is actually proved in our day-to-day experience. It's not proved in the in the power of a given moment, okay. right? The moments can be life-changing, but how life-changing there are depends from person to person, right? Ten people can have the same kind of experience, and ten years later they can be in completely different places in their lives.
0: So that, that, um, that desire for that particular experience yeah. then is what maybe Chögyam Trungpa calls spiritual materialism. It's a kind of um, attachment to a certain idea of what it...
1: I think if we're chasing sort of an experience. Yeah. That is a kind of spiritual materialism, um, yeah. you know, because the, there's nothing unique about that, right? Yeah. We human beings chase all sorts of experiences. You know, when we're buying an 800-inch TV screen, right. we're chasing an experience that we think is gonna give right. it to them. Um, to me, there's a, it can be useful to, at some point, to sort of discriminate between the spiritual impulse as it is in and of itself, and as it gets colored by the individual that it's operating through, because the ego will attach its hopes and dreams and wants to the impulse. But the impulse itself is, is often not what we think it is. It is that the very ground of being, or if you want a more psychological interpretation of that, the, the very ground of the, most expansive understanding of the psyche you could get to become self-aware. That's what it's about. It's not it, and that may that 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 doesn't really value whether the, our journey to that is easy or difficult. It's it's the human being that goes well. I want this, and I want this experience, and and that's understandable, right? That can be a part of our motivation, and there's right. nothing wrong with it. But but. Um, but if we really feel into the impulse itself, it has this sort of transpersonal origin.
0: So, what I'm aware of in my mind right now is there's all this, there's this sort of this uh, excitement that the rich possibilities of this conversation, I almost don't know which direction to go in, because you know, <laughs> they, the, they all excite me but I'll yeah. just sort of go randomly with with, okay. with a few. Yeah. We haven't touched uh, one, upon bypassing,
1: but we'll, so, we'll get there, I'm sure.
0: <laughs> so one is that I, I want to argue with you, okay? Yeah. Um, so sure. let me just find the point where I think I can argue with you, okay? Uh, <laughs> this has to do with this... Um, How do how do we get there? Like wh- what we have to do with our minds. And let me just find it exactly. Yeah, you say okay. I got it. I'd like to share with you a short exercise. You say that will help illustrate what I'm saying. Just for a moment, let's say five seconds. And in these five seconds, let yourself stop thinking about anything about yourself, about others, about the day, etc., etc., etc. Okay. That's what you say on page thirty-three to thirty-four, okay. But Mr. Adyashanti, a few days la- a few a few days la- a few pages later, you say um, we don't have control over what we th- what, what, what we want or think we have, okay. And uh, just look inside your own mind. You have don't you don't really have control whether one thought enters you or exits your mind. <laughs> So well, no sounds like hand, a heck
1: of a contradiction,
0: huh? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, on the so no no one hand, I'm supposed to stop my no, mind, I you're w- telling me <laughs> I can't stop my mind. Right. So, yeah. you tell me about that, please.
1: <laughs> well, I do come from the Zen tradition, so yeah. you purposely tie people in knots sometimes, but okay. I won't leave it at that. That would be too much of a cop-out. <laughs> um, so, if we could just stop our mind, which is sort of... Hypothetical, yeah. number one. Okay. When I, it may not have come across in this. I don't. I don't even remember. But one of the things that I think is really important. I see all spiritual teachings. I think they're most health-related to in the most healthy way as sort of strategies strategies to awaken or become more conscious or to see deeper or to let go of things rather than sort of statements of final philosophical existential truth. I think they're medicine. And um, when it comes to the thoughts, um, I think it's important, I often encourage people, even though it might sound like I'm saying do this or don't do that, let's say, that it's really I would I would recommend, I often say to people, that take everything as a question. Okay. So the que- like if we took that turn that into a question, what you're talking about. Right. Right? So what if so since you since you can't simply just stop your mind, you can't make that happen. Right. Right? Can I listen, however, can I listen to what's always what's already quiet? Whether I have thoughts or not, okay. can I do that? Not a demand like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do now. Yeah. But can I, can I, can I notice that? I find when we sort of turn things into into a, a question like that, then we're not str- the ego isn't sort of struggling to make it happen. It's like investigating, which I think is important because as soon as we make something into sort of a demand, now I'm going to stop my mind. Um not, first of all, that's a thought. Right? So, yeah, um, yeah. and you just elicit all the resistance that might be there. But if you turn to the other question, because I'm but that's softer. what happened
0: for me. When I was reading that passage Understood. in the book, I actually tried it. And, yeah. and all I could do was th- think about not thinking.
1: Yeah. <laughs> right. Which so, is which is a kind of lot of circular thinking. Yeah. Now if you if it, if you did that, if you did that for, well, it might take a second, it might take a year, it might take whatever, and at some point you might start. it might dawn on you, like, oh, apparently I can't just stop my thoughts whenever I want. I seem to be more the recipient of, recipient of my thoughts than the creator of my thoughts, right. by and large. Right? Right. By and large, okay, if I start to see that, maybe something in me just starts to stop trying to make this happen oh, I can't do that, and, but there's a way of relating to that kind of limitation in a way that we're taught that when we find something we can't do, we failed, right? Like, i hit a limitation, I failed, I didn't get it right. But we can also, spiritually, I think it's really important to relate to those kind of moments like, oh, I can't do that, what's it actually like in my body? in my experience to realize that I can't stop my mind without trying to. What, what does it actually feel like? Because usually I can't unconsciously, what we have running in our program, I can't and that's not right and I have to be able to do it and I failed. None of which is I can't do it. I can't do it is just simple like, oh, I can't stop my mind. Oh, so what's that like? How does that feel? And the interesting thing is when you let yourself feel that sort of wall, that limitation, your mind often becomes quieter for no and it's not a mystery that it becomes quiet it's, it's, it becomes quieter because anytime we align with the truth, mm-hmm. we have a more seamless experience of being. We're in, we're in less conflict with ourself. And We always think the truths are supposed to be truths that I want to know. Like, who wants to know I can't control my own thoughts? Right? But if we let ourselves, that's a truth. If we let ourselves know that truth, it's amazing how our experience becomes more harmonious, right? Because we're simply coming into closer harmony with the actuality of our experience. Right. So you have my sympathy. Uh-huh. Number one, I could easily see how you could, you know, take take that little little yeah. piece. Right. I was what I was trying to do was when I use when I usually um, created almost as like a an imagination. Yeah. If you could stop your thoughts for five seconds, and even if you kind of imagine it, like if I was if my thoughts just kind of stop for five seconds hmm, what would I lose in those five seconds?
0: Of course, what I could also do with it is, um, say in this conversation, ask who the, who's the one in me that even wants to argue about
1: it? Like, That's the deeper question. Yeah. Yeah. But rather than just open to it. Right. Yeah. That's the deeper question. That's it's, the most fundamental question. When somebody gets hooked on that kind of question, then yeah. I start to salivate like a dog. <laughs> like, all right, now we're
0: now we're getting right, started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you talked about quiet, and um, I, I'd <laughs> like to um, re- re- read you some. This is this is going to be the last question before we get into the uh, spiritual bypass part. If I can find that quote of yours, <laughs> well, you well, you talk at some point about um, this culture making it very difficult. Uh, to be silent hmm. silence is you talk about it's the it's not a high
1: cultural value that's for
0: silence sure. is not a high cultural value in our society and um, so i won't look for the exact quote cuz you just kind of summed it up um, well yeah but no here i actually found it revelation and insight come from no, come from somewhere else from some other, uh, sorry uh, from, from 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 some other space they come from a place that we as a culture seem to have so little respect for a place called silence. What's more neglected in our lives than silence, you say? Mm-hmm. And that reminded me of a great line from, uh, from uh, the play Joan of St. Joan by um, George Bernard Shaw, mm-hmm. where um, uh, Joan is this, it's, it's a 15th century story, of course, a true story. Um, and Joan is this um, simple peasant girl who, um, who has voices come to her. Yeah. And those voices guide her to go to the Dauphin, the, the king to be of France, and demand that he assume his full role as a leader of his people. Mm-hmm. And Joan actually is able to lead the French armies to some victories against the occupying English. Yeah. So um, it's in, the, in this particular uh, dialogue, Charles, the, who is now king, mm-hmm. as a result of Joan's uh, leadership, mm-hmm. says, oh, your voices, your voices. Why don't the voices come to me? I'm king, not you. <laughs> and Joan says, they do come to you, but you do not hear them. You have not sat in the field in the evening listening for them. Mm-hmm. When the angelus, which is the ring, uh, uh, the bell that calls the some people to a particular prayer, when Angelus rings, you cross your, you yourself and have done with it. But if you prayed from your heart and listened to the thrilling of the bells in the air after they stop ringing, you would hear the voices as well as I do. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's beautiful. So talk to us about silence.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I like your sense of humor. <laughs> Well, I, I think it's, it's it's obvious that we don't value it, silence as a culture that much. Silence seems, on the surface, to be so useless. Like it's silent, okay. Well, as I've had few people say to me, like, okay, it's silent, so big deal. What's what's the big thing about that? And I go, yeah, you got a point. I can understand that surface experience. But silent, silence is. And again, silence isn't something that we need to... The more we're trying to be silent, the more we create conflict. Rather than trying to do that, as I like to say, is just listen to the quiet spaces inside. Instead of fighting with the noisy spaces, there's, you can work on the noisy spaces at, in some other time or some other context, but listen to the quiet spaces inside. And the, the thing about silence is that it's It gives us access to to dip underneath the sort of rational, (laughs) which is often irrational, but the rational intellect. Mm -hmm. Right? We're all the, all the, all so much of the noise of happening. Silence is a sort of an access gainer. That's why almost any contemplative form of spirituality value has valued silence right mm-hmm. silence isn't the only thermal worth valuing spirituality you know questioning and um, and having challenging our own assumptions that's really important too but unless there's a foundation of, of silence it's so easy for it to just become stay in the realm of the of the rational intellect you know and especially nowadays when we can go on the internet and and watch endless amounts of spiritual teaching. And part of that's nice that it's, there's availability and accessibility. But there's a part of it, I remember when I was young with my teacher in my 20s, and I loved reading about spirituality. And I mean, I was just sort of on fire with the whole thing. And I made a deal with myself that I was going to, I could read as much as I wanted, as long as I meditated as much as I read every day. Wow. And so, cause I was like, well, I can sit here and reading about silence is really exciting. <laughs> Perhaps actually engaging in it is, is at least as useful. And so I did that and um, it's no mystery that, you know, people go for walks in the woods or just places where you're just sort of often caught off guard a little bit by a silence and the, the uh, sense of presence you walk into a place of sort of sacred architecture it 's meant to evoke a state of being sometimes it's awe sometimes it's simplicity but there's always a kind of silence that's that's with that so I think silence is um and the 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 ground of our of our being is is in silence. That's why you don't have to create silence. You know, we have to create the noise like the words I'm saying.
0: So I'm just thinking that before the big bang there must have been silence.
1: Mhm. It, and it's kind of like silence is kind of like, you know, the, like the Buddhist word that people get so confused over like a word like emptiness, you know, yeah. and we think oh it's just like an empty box. But emptiness is you know, this this isn't the exact sort of Buddhist translation of this, but something akin to, like, since you mentioned like Big Bang, something akin to what there might have been right before the Big Bang. Yeah. That everything came out of an infinitely small something, which is really close to saying a nothing. And that's a different kind of nothing. That's, that's a domain of what I call pure potentiality, right? And in our, I think, in our deepest, ground of being and our deepest experience of being, we we experience ourselves to be a, a domain of pure potentiality. You know, there's, there's nothing to it. That, it's like before it's become anything. Um, and that's kind of akin also, it's a close cousin to silence. Right? Those, and so there's incredible mm. intelligence Revelatory power. It's silence isn't just the lack of sound. There's, it seems like that at first. It seems like that at first, but it's 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 a door opener.
0: Okay. Well, that that, that takes me now to trauma. Yeah. Strangely enough, because um, you know I, I do have a. If, if there's such a thing as ADD, and there's no such thing as ADD. As for as concerned, it's a process. But without going into that my mind just doesn't abide silence very well. Mm -hmm. And um, I related to the fact that when my brain and mind were being formed in my earliest moments, uh, even before birth, but especially afterwards, there's a lot of terrible stuff happening around me. Yeah. And uh, not to be present to it, was a natural way of coping. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about trauma here. Yeah. And um, in this workshop of 100 people that I'm facilitating, and, 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 and not just in a workshop, but everywhere I go, doesn't matter what work I do, and as a physician, um, I just found that trauma, in the way I define it, was the underlying dynamic. Uh, beneath every kind of illness, uh, mental illness, physical illness. I'm not going to make that case for you right now, but that was, that's what I found, and mm-hmm. a lot of research tends in the same direction. And then you told me yourself, to my delight really, but to my surprise at the same time, that in your workshops, uh, your retreats and so on, you find a lot of people have been, you said 80% or something? You use some, anyway, there a lot of, you uh, find rock. trauma coming up all the time. All the time. Now, the interesting thing is, and that surprised me, and the reason it surprised me is because in none of the um, recordings of yours that I've heard, or yep. the recordings of Eckhart Tolle, or recordings of H. Almas, or any of the great s- spiritual teachers of our time, does the word trauma, as far as I can tell, ever mentioned as such?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. So I'm curious,
1: first of all, why not? Well, I, all I can do is speak for myself. Please. So, um, like I think I shared with you, especially when I do retreats, when people are doing deeper, really deep spiritual work, right. I mean, some sort of questions about trauma come up on a daily basis. They're, it's rare to get through a day where someone isn't. And I don't mean trauma that's not directly addressed but you think might be there, but I mean just overtly, right. you know, talked about. Someone brings it up to me. So,. Um, so that's usually when when it gets talked about, when I really address it is usually when someone really brings it up, and there's a reason for that and I'll say this to people when I talk to them I've educated myself to some extent on trauma um, I didn't I mean there's probably I don't know if we any of us get through early childhood totally unscathed I don't imagine I did either, but i don't i don't I haven't experienced myself certainly to have sort of that more heavy traumas that a lot of people come to me. So number one, from an experiential standpoint, I don't have that expertise. From an educational standpoint, I also know that that's not my area of expertise. I don't want to pretend like it is. Hmm. I will often say when I'm, especially at retreats and when the subject comes up, that I'll talk to people about how they might be able to be with that while they're retreat, but I will often suggest. That people reach out to get some really good, specialized help from people who are experts in this. Okay. Um, to think that your spiritual teacher is going to be an, an expert in trauma is probably unrealistic. You know, I think it's important for sp- spiritual teachers to be open to addressing it and dealing with it when it comes up, and to uh, probably at least educate themselves in some basic way. Um, I've met lots of people who have come to me and they're talking about some inner experience, and it's just terrifying them. Yeah. And I've learned over time to distinguish between the kind of terror which is this sort of like, yeah. like the, 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 the ego meeting its existential limitation, that's a kind of terror. People can, when they're ready, they can let go into that. They can surrender into that. But if it's the terror that's the terror of, of, of a traumatic, of trauma coming back again, I've met so many people that a spiritual teacher says, just dive in. Yeah. And, well, they, do, they tried to dive in and they ended up worse for doing it, yeah. right? Because that's not what you want to, as far as I know, yeah. that's not the right direction for that kind mm-hmm. of fear. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, when someone is like, when I realize, okay, there's some trauma, trauma aspect here, I'll, I'll be, I'll suggest that you just, you got to slow the whole thing down, take it in little, little bites, you know, lots of, I won't go into all the pointers, but try to stay really grounded, connected with your body. If you, if you start to get, you know, overwhelmed, don't think you have to just bull your way through it. That's counterproductive. Um, that's what I mean. Like I have a, an elementary understanding of it, enough to, I think, to give some useful guidance in those situations. But I'm not an expert, and I don't want to pretend like I'm an expert. No, that's fair. So enough. I'm not even sure what I would write in a book, you know, yeah. um, that I would feel comfortable with. Fair enough. But I,
0: isn't an argument? I'm just giving you information. From no, my no. View.
1: I'm just. I don't. I'm yeah. not taking it that way. you No. Fair
0: enough. Yeah. Um, from my point of view. It'd be so refreshing mm-hmm. if somebody like you or any of these others that I mentioned could actually just say the word. Yeah. And say, I may not be the one to deal with it. Or I may not, you know, but I know it's here. Yeah. I know it's affecting many of you.
1: Yeah. That would, to me, be yeah really helpful. Understood. Yeah. Okay. Understood. Thank you. Yeah. Now, um, <laughs> if you listen to enough tapes, you're gonna hear it. Okay. Yeah, it's there. Okay.
0: But I, I got to listen to more. Dates, no, no, yeah. no, no,
1: no! Don't, no, 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 you
0: don't. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was going like, to meditate, but now I'm going to listen to it. No, tape. but uh,
1: <laughs> I, I understand what you're saying, and I and I think your point is well taken. Okay, it it really you. is, because it's 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 a bigger issue with more people than I would have ever dreamed with when I started out this stuff.
0: Uh, or me as a physician I I'm think. sure
1: yeah. yeah and and it's and it's a it's an important thing to to be to to be able to identify and for people to get some really good skilled help with that like just those two things right there are just okay. extremely important
0: so that then brings me to uh, spiritual bypass and 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 a light of that trauma in the spiritual world yes. so you mentioned Suzuki Roshi mm-hmm. um, I mentioned uh, Hirugyō Chōmei and Suzuru Kiroshi uh moved here from Japan, founded the Zen Center in San Francisco, mm-hmm. and as far as I know, he was a well. He was clearly a great teacher um, and with, all, with, with integrity. Mm-hmm. But the man he appointed to be his Dharma heir, his followers, you probably know this, yeah. um, whom I don't need to name, but his name is well known. Uh, sexually exploited for years, yeah. uh, women in his in their ashram. Um, Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, who funded Nairopa University, and wrote many books of spiritual teaching and <laughs> steeped in a certain Tibetan tradition, died of alcoholic liver disease yeah. and also. Had a lot, lot of women in his at his sexual behest.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, the leader of Sh- the Shambhala group that that Trungpa founded has recently had to resign. Mm-hmm. The most recent leader, the the one that Trumpe appointed as his Dharma heir, passed HIV onto his lovers, not telling them that he had HIV. Yep. The current leader of that same group has just had to resign because of sexual improprieties. I once did an eight-day retreat with Sazaki Roshi, not Suzuki Roshi, yeah. but sazaki Roshi, Suzuki, yeah. who I think was working at... He was Leonard Cohen's guru. He, he worked at Mount Shasta. And he just died a few years ago, well over the age of 100. But when he was away in his 90s, there was a front page article in the New York Times that for decades he'd been groping women, mm-hmm. this great Zen teacher. And I, I participated in a retreat, and he really was a wonderful teacher, mm-hmm. and I'm not taking anything from their yep. power to teach. Understood. And, and, he, and he would grope women, and, his, and then when the women would complain, some women would complain, his, his acolytes, his assistants would say to these women, Buddhism is all about non-attachment. Mm-hmm. Why are you so attached to your breasts? If he wants to touch your breasts, let him touch your breasts. Mm-hmm.
1: What's going on? <laughs> well, first of all, <laughs> there's a damn big problem in spirituality. Yeah. right? There's a big, big problem. I think that's the first thing that needs to be okay. acknowledged. There's a big, big problem um, and there's lots of reasons for that. But I think one of them goes back to where the phrase you used to open this, this last little bit up is, is spiritual bypassing. I remember reading myself in a book from a Zen teacher that the teachings were basically, I thought, quite sound and good. But when somebody, he was, there was a Q&A in the book, and it was asked if, if you know, Zen meditation is good enough to sort of cure someone of all their psychological emotional ills and he said yes and when i read that i was like that's wrong like the other stuff might have been good in this book but he's just flat wrong about that one hmm. and i think there's this sort of this pervasive <clears throat> it's it's through lots of these kind of episodes like you've mentioned it's slowly starting to change but not fast enough but there's this this thing, and this goes for not only teachers, but anybody, is that, and we touched upon this earlier when we were talking about enlightenment experiences, and enlight- there, there enlight- there's a spiritual line of development, there's a human line of development. They do interact with each other, right. but they are also simultaneously not the same line of development, and you right. can be very highly developed in spiritual insight and be an emotional child. Right? Maybe you had your own trauma, maybe you just never grew up, maybe becoming a teacher where you were so, you know, had so much adulation um, was part of what kept you from really growing up. Like, you know what I mean? That kept you in this sort of more infantile state. And I think what, what we need more, and I think everybody, teachers and students, need to understand this, that these experiences do not confer human perfection upon you. You can still not have your emotional human ego act together at all, even if you have really big, powerful spiritual trans experiences. I mean real ones, not phony stuff, That, that can happen and the part of every of an unfolding is acknowledging like that. Like I said, that gap between who you are as a human and what you what you realize. And that's, you, that's a different, um, they're intersecting, so they always have to be, you know, they, we have to encounter both of these domains simultaneously, but I think we have to get over the idea that spiritual insight is a cure for everything, number one. That it's the same as emotional growth. That's not true. It can help a lot with emotional growth. It can. It depends greatly on people how much it sort of penetrates into the... The humanity the human domain um, but so I, I think for everybody for teachers and students like I think we have to be um, honest about like okay I'm I'm going after spiritual insight but yeah it's also you're also going to have to take care of your your emotional baggage along the way unless you want to end up highly developed in one area and highly undeveloped in another area
0: so that um... So these people that I mentioned, they were great teachers and, and what they taught was seems to me very real. When it comes
1: to Dharma, they can yeah. be great. Right.
0: Is it possible though? Is it I'm I'm asking, you know, I, I, I don't I have a suspicion, but I don't know, mm-hmm. that if there's this uneven development that you describe. Yeah as great teachers as they may be, that that somehow wouldn't pollute their teaching at the same time? Mm-hmm. Or could they be doing great, pure teaching and then have this other life on the side that doesn't affect their teaching?
1: It's a good question. I'm not sure if I can give a, a great answer to it, It's a, it, because I think it is sort of a, a question. I mean, I think there's enough of a, between, because these two domains of human experience are interacting but also not the same, the fact that they're interacting to me would have to tell me that in some way that lack of development is getting into the teaching in some way. It, you know what I mean? That, right. I mean? Obviously, you can have people that are very undeveloped emotionally that can give some really great Dharma, but I, I just, all my intuition tells me that they just can't be separated that much. They can be separated to a great degree. Right. Right. It's because it's not true that just because somebody is sort of an emotional infant and a lot of people get hurt when you're in a position of authority when that happens, um, it doesn't mean that when they're talking about the Dharma that they may have really great things to say. But I think that's an important thing, like just in spirituality in general, that we don't just measure this whole thing simply by spiritual insight. Mm-hmm. That we start to measure spiritual insight is part of the part of the picture. It's a, an essential part of the picture. But it's the picture is bigger than insight. It's it's human beings and it's emotional growth and it's relational maturity and it's a lot, a lot of things. And I just feel intuitionally that. If you're super undeveloped in one way, it's got to—it's got to affect the Dharma teaching somehow because they're just not completely it.
0: Which is in, why maybe we're unattached. seeing this, which is why maybe we're seeing this dysfunction now in several generations after yeah. Tungpa and his organization. That's right. Well, I'd like to
1: because right. um, you, you when you're blind to something, yeah. you are often blind to see in in, in others. That's right. Right, you just don't—you don't acknowledge it. You don't see it. You know.
0: So I mean, I'd love, to, from from the purely selfish point of view, I'd love to just keep talking with you <laughs> forever. But um, I do want to give people here a chance to ask you questions. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to put one more question to you. Yeah. And uh, it's it's related to this issue of spiritual bypass. And if I can get this um, computer working properly, then you'll hear yourself talk. <laughs> and uh, and then I'm going to ask you to comment on it. So. Um, here we are, where are we, here we my are. My
1: favorite thing to hear myself talk. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you too? No, it's always like, yeah. Yeah.
1: It's always like listening to fingernails I mean, on the chalkboard to my
0: ears. Uh, I, I mean, people sometimes will come up to me before a talk and say, I'm really looking forward to listening <laughs> to you talk. And my answer says, so do I. <laughs> <laughs> so here we go if it works. All right. Why isn't this working again? Jeez. It worked before. Right? Oh,
1: maybe Grace on my end has struck again. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay, let me just try one thing here. Uh, it, it, I'm not going to keep trying forever. So All right. External headphones. Okay, let's see. Um, okay, L- let me just try it. One different way, because I just really <laughs> like to use this quote, and I've worked all night to prepare it. And Adya, Adya, Adya Shanti... Um, so if this was well, me you know, right what? about so, this time, I'd be so, calling my wife, please help. So I'm lost. It's, it's not going to work, but I'll reprise it for you as best okay. I can. We're right. talking about the consequences of denial. Yeah, and. Uh, you're actually saying, I believe you're saying pretty much what I've been teaching all week and what I've learned over the decades as a physician, that the consequence of denial, the consequence of denial, like if you put yourself into situations when you deny yourself, for example, mm-hmm. can be deleterious to your health yeah. and, and, and everything else. And that denial can also happen through spiritual work, as far as I understand, because people, sure. people can put themselves on a cushion and um, and really feel peace yep. and, and, and serenity and joy, even. But in their lives, mm-hmm. they're denying something, yeah. and even, they might even be using that spiritual work as a way of getting away from the reality of their lives. Might even. Often. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I just wish you would talk a little bit about that denial and its yeah. consequences. And then we'll open out to questions from the audience.
1: Well, um, you, you mentioned some of, the, some of the consequences, but on, on a, less, on a s- smaller scale than the influence of spiritual teachers on people, um, I just think for all of us individually. Yeah. Um, what I found is, um, I think to be honest with yourself about yourself is about the most challenging thing that a human being can pull off, Right. you know, with any consistency. Every now and then when you know, when, when you get pushed in a corner, okay, maybe you do it. But to just really yeah. not honest in the sense of, a lot of people mistranslate that as a sort of judgment of things. Right. But we don't, it's not judgment, it's just being honest and honest and honest. And um, I take that as sort of one of the central pillars of the spirituality as I teach it. Like you have to be capable, you have to be willing, to whatever extent you can muster, to be really, really honest with yourself. Because if you're not, if you're not honest with yourself, well, how spiritually awake are you going to be able to get, number one? But in a more human sense, we don't actually get to successfully repress anything. Hmm. It just comes out in a different form. Like you push it down here and it comes out over here. So the denial and the repression thing, it might, you know, squash it in one form, but it's, it's going to come out somewhere somewhere else. So, none of us get off the hook. And I think um, it's kind of a ruthless, a ruthless kind of, not like judgmentally ruthless, but it's a difficult, fierce practice to, to be honest. That's what I was trying to kind of suggest when we were talking about the mind for a moment, like right. sometimes just like when I was learning to meditate, right? And I had a real trouble in the early years meditating. And um, it was very difficult. I did a lot of it, but it was really difficult early on. Um, And until one day I was with my teacher and saying, talking about my mind and meditation and just looked at me and said, if you go to war with your mind, you'll be at war forever. And then picked up the bell and rang it. Like that's the end of the conversation, kid. (laughs) <laughs> and it was like perfect timing because I walked out and it's hard to convey to other people the effect that had when I put so much time and I was so ardent and, and trying with everything I had and all of a sudden I was just told, the way you're going out about it, kid, this, this isn't gonna work and you can do this forever and get nowhere. And I remember like sometimes when you're just stunned by something. Mm-hmm. And I was walking down the road after that, going back to the meditation hall, and I thought, first of all, I thought, you know what? I knew this from the very first time I ever meditated. I knew it, but I didn't let myself know it because it wasn't convenient. It wasn't convenient to know that I couldn't control my mind the way I wanted to. So I pretended not to know that. I denied it, and I went about trying to control it, and I was just told I could do that forever. And I thought, I need a totally different paradigm, completely. And that's when I began to find my own way. I had to first acknowledge what was true about my own experience, that I couldn't control it. And then I get, okay, if that's what's true, now what do I do? And that's when I found a totally different way of going about meditation, and all of a sudden the war dropped out of it. So that's you know very specialized. Right. Ver- you know, there's also, there's emotional denials of piled up infinitely, but I think it's it's key to emotional work. It's key to spiritual work. It's
0: there's the phrase used in inconvenient truths. Yeah,
1: that's a great one, right? Yeah. Inconvenient truths, and sometimes the the most transformative truths are the inconvenient truths. Right. Yeah. We always think truth, it's going to be true because I'm going to feel great about it. Like, Not always. Sometimes it's like, oh, God, not that. But then so often, you know, if you can take it in and you stop denying and you reorient around that truth, later you look back and go, wow, that truth, that fierce truth was actually a kind of liberator.
0: You know? there's that famous saying of Jesus that you will know the truth and the truth will liberate you mm-hmm. and I don't know which American president put a twist on it and he said uh, the truth will liberate you but first it'll make you feel terrible Something like
2: that. <laughs> Thank you to our guests Adi Ashanti and Dr. Gabor Mate and thanks to all of you for listening to our first episode of our new podcast The Sounds of Sand. And we invite you to explore more of our talks, dialogues, videos articles events and other offerings through our website science and nonduality.com if you enjoyed this conversation please consider becoming a member to access our massive library of sand content available exclusively to SAN members and we would love it if you could leave us a good review on apple podcasts and to share this episode with your family friends and all sentient beings be well